don't just don't just sprinkle two two little grains of salt on it and think that's good enough. Put some salt on your dish. Not too much. But put enough on it that it makes a difference, that it enhances the flavor. Dizwins Radio episode 654 starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 here we are back for another edition of the listener Q&A episode, the episode where you ask, I answer. And uh, with a little bit of luck, my answers are actually useful, actually helpful in some form or fashion to address your running related questions or your non-running related questions. Questions are open uh, and, and willing to take on take on all comers. Um, and as as per usual, if, if you've been around, you know this, but if you're, if you're new to the show, the best way to get your questions out answered on the show is to uh, join the Facebook group. We've got a, a pretty, if I may be so bold, a pretty darn good Facebook group going over at uh, the Dizruns tribe on Facebook. Just go to Dizruns.com slash Facebook. It'll direct you right there. Or if you're on Facebook, just type into the search bar, Dizruns, uh, two words, Dizruns, uh, join the group and uh, come come hang out with us. We've got, we have a lot of fun and somewhere in the middle of each month, I put a little post up that says, hey, what are your questions for this month? What can I answer for you? And as per usual, y'all don't disappoint. Uh, get uh, you know a good a good list of questions today. Uh, and so we're going to have a little fun. Like I said, hopefully provide some, some useful answers as well. But before we dive into today's questions, I want to take a minute and thank today's sponsor, DKMS. They've been, a, they've been around for a while as far as a sponsor. They've been around for a while as an organization as well, uh, helping to fight the fight against blood cancer. So what they, what they do and, and the big thing that they do, the big thing that they're asking from us and y'all continue to, to do it. You continue to take that action, which is why they continue to support the show because it's, it's working and, uh, it's, it's a great cause. I'm so happy that, that, uh, we can help facilitate this, but, but the big thing that DKMS does is they've created a, a, a bone marrow registry of over 8 million potential donors around the world to, uh, to who have signed up and said, I'm willing to answer the call. If somebody that has blood cancer turns out to be a genetic match for me, which is, you know, it's one of those, you know, one in a million or probably more than that uh, type of chances. But if that happens, uh, I am willing to donate some of my marrow and attempt to help that person win the fight against blood cancer and be able to go on and live a, a healthy and productive and normal life for many, many years after the fact. And to date, over 70,000 of those donations have been uh, facilitated via DKMS and this bone marrow registry that they have created. So uh, if you would be willing to join me in that pool of potential lifesavers, that's what DKMS is asking you to do. And like I said, many of you have done it, but I know more of you have thought about it, but you're out, you're out on the go. You're like, oh yeah, I need to remember to do that. Then you forget about it. It's easy enough to do. Uh, but you know, make that, make that happen now. Uh, head over to dkms.org. Click the link right there that says, send me the free swab kit. You get the, the kit in the mail. You swab the inside of your cheeks with the Q-tip, put it back in the container, send it back, all postage paid. DKMS handles the rest. They'll, they'll analyze it, put it in the system. And if, if it becomes a, a match with somebody, they will contact you and facilitate the entire donation process at 
literally zero cost to you other than your time and, and your donation of a little bit of marrow. And you'll be back to running in a week or 10 days, something like that. No big deal. Um, and, and you have the chance to save a life. So dkms.org, once again, is the, is, the, is the link. And you can also text the word AMAZING. That's A-M-A-Z-I-N-G to the number 50555 to get more information and to get yourself uh, to request that kit and get yourself in the pool of potential uh, bone marrow donors and uh, potential lifesavers, which is a pretty pretty darn cool thing to do, uh, especially when it literally costs you nothing but a few se- few few minutes of your time to get yourself in that pool and potentially save a life. So thank you to DKMS for the continued support, and thank you guys once again for continuing to support the the, the supporters to continue to support DKMS and the the great work that they are doing. So today. We've got a, a, a list of questions. It's not as long as maybe a couple of the last months. Probably has to do with the Thanksgiving holiday kind of getting in the way and, and throwing people's rotation off. But that's fine. We've got some, some really good questions today. So we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to dive right into them and uh, hopefully help a few folks. As always, though, remember that these, these, these questions are being answered to the best of my ability. But, uh, you know, n- no guarantees here that, that the uh, advice is actually useful. Uh, so if, if it is, take, take what's good. Throw away what's bad. Hopefully it will help. So the first question comes from Ava, who lives out in California where the air quality has been uh, an issue. Although, from what I understand, I think maybe, hopefully it's improving a little bit now. Uh, But there for a while with the fires, things were really bad. She says, I totally recognize you're probably not the best person to ask, but do you have any tips on how to make the treadmill a little more bearable? Air quality here in San Francisco is bad and getting worse, so I'm going to have to learn to love it for the time being. Alternatively, Best ways to maintain fitness while not running and stuck indoors. I'm not training for a goal race for a little while, so could get away with some time off of running, but want to be in good aerobic shape for once training or once uh, training for spring races actually begins. So, yeah, Ava, you know, I, I might not be the uh, the the world's uh, most uh, yeah. I might not look fondly on the uh, the treadmill. I, I as has been well documented as I've talked about many times. It is uh, not not my jam to get on the treadmill and and, and run. Uh, that said, I you know I feel like maybe I can offer some advice, some some ways that you can uh, make the treadmill at least bearable until the air gets good enough. Hopefully, it already is by now. Uh, but if it's not ready for you to to be outside and, and safely run yet, hopefully uh, some of these these suggestions will help. So. Uh, one that I think uh, somebody else posted in the group as well, or a few people, probably not something that you haven't thought of before, but the old Netflix and run, you know, dialing up movies on, on your iPad or on your phone, or if you have a TV, if there's a TV available, um, that you can, that you can pick and choose and have something on it that you actually enjoy watching. That can be something that can, can take the, uh, take the boredom away. You can get lost in a movie, lost in a TV show. My suggestion, especially if you go with the TV show route, if it's something that, that has many episodes, Make sure that you only watch said show during or while you're on the treadmill. That way there's, there's, you know, that's, that kind of is that little extra carrot of, you know, if you want to watch, you know, whatever, whether it's a, you know, whether it's, it's, uh, what's the, something on HBO or something, you know, what, what is the, uh, the, the, gosh, I can't even think of it with the, with the dragons and the, the, you know, blah, whatever it is, the red dragon show, what you, you all know what it is. You're screaming at your phone right now. Um, all, all I can think of is house of cards and clearly that's, that's obviously not right, but whatever, if you want to watch whatever those shows might be that you're into, whether it's a, whether it's a sitcom, whether it's a, a, a drama, whatever it is, get yourself to where you are only watching that on the treadmill. And that'll be that extra little motivation to get out there and, and get your, your half an hour, your 45 minutes, get your hour in because you're able to watch this one particular show and you only watch it there. So it takes a little discipline to not, uh, you know, sit on the couch and watch it over the rest of the weekend. But 
If you can, if you can make that happen, that'll give you a little extra carrot to get on the treadmill so that you can find out what happens next in, in at the white wedding scene or, or whatever it might be. And I'm coming up with all these things. I've never even watched a darn show and I can't think of what it's called, but you know what I'm talking about. And, and that works for anything. It works for, for sitcoms, dramas. It could work for a movie series. You know, if you, if you wanted to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy or something like that, but you're only going to watch it when you're on the treadmill. So, you know, you watch the, the first hour and then you, you pause it, save where you are, come back, only watch it again. You know, th- those types of things can keep you a little bit more motivated on the treadmill, or at least to get onto the treadmill and keep you going. If you have that discipline to only scratch that itch when you're actually on the treadmill, other things you can do break up the, the treadmill monotony by doing some other things as well. So you mentioned, you know, I, I could maybe that you could maybe do some other things beyond running to, to, to maintain your fitness. So maybe it's a good time to do some cross training. So get on the treadmill, do a mile and then get off and do, you know, do a, a, a 20 minutes on the spin bike and then get back on, do another mile on the treadmill, get off and do some rowing or do some strength training or do some, some yoga, uh, whatever it is, Br- break up, break up that, that, half an hour, 45 minutes, hour, two hours, however long that, that you're going to run for on the treadmill, you can break that up with, with some different things. You can even break it up with, you know, obviously some other cross training things. So, so you can get off and do the elliptical, get off and do the rowing machine, the bike, the stair climber, jump in the pool. If, you, if you're at a, at, you know, if you're at a gym or something like that, where there's a pool as well, do some swimming instead of just, just biking, do some, do some different cross training. Again, Add in some, some strength training, add in a, a class. If you're at a gym where there's a Pilates class or a yoga class, take the class, you know, get, get on the, the bike for a bit beforehand, get off, do the class, come back, do a bit more bike, break it up a little bit. So it's not one long monotonous stretch on the, on the treadmill. You can also play with your pace a little bit or play with some incline. So if it's a treadmill that ramps up and down, you know, give yourself some hills to do, give yourself some, some speed work, make, make it a fart like run something to, to break up that, that boring monotony of just running at a standard pace on a treadmill, staring at the wall for however long it takes. Uh, last suggestion to make the treadmill a bit more tolerable would be to really work on your pace control. So if, if you're somebody like me who struggles to hold a consistent pace out on the roads, even, you know, it, you know, regardless of, of, uh, you know, climbing or hills or things like that, but just running at a steady pace on a flat road, like I, I my paces are up and down and up and down. And it's, it's a really struggle for me to, to hold steady. You could work on that on the treadmill, give yourself like an actual task an actual, there's a, there's a benefit to being on the treadmill and that I can set the, set the damn thing for whatever pace and just run that pace and, and learn to to be comfortable at that pace, to feel that pace and, and to be able to settle into it as opposed to, you know, maybe, you know, just to make the number simple, you're running at nine minute pace, but that's maybe your average pace when you run on the roads, but you run some miles at 820 and some miles at 930 and something at 845 and then another one at 915. And it all averages out to be about nine minute pace, but you're not hitting that same pace for a number of miles in a row on the treadmill. You can work on that because obviously when you set the treadmill, that's the pace it's going to go, assuming that the, everything's calibrated correctly, which is a, can be a big assumption, but you know, you, you can set it and, and learn what it feels like to run at nine minute pace. And then hopefully when you get back out on the roads, you'll see your pace be a bit steadier. It'll be a bit more in that nine minute pace window or whatever pace window it is that you're working at trying to maintain so that you're not bouncing all over the place, but you can actually run a bit steadier, uh, and kind of, you know, just work on the ability to hold that pace. So those are three ways that you can maybe make the, the treadmill a bit better. Um, I don't know that any of them would really work for me long-term. Hopefully it doesn't have to work for you long-term either Ava, and you can get back out on the roads sooner rather than later with safe air to breathe at the same time. But, uh, please, please don't, you know, don't take any unnecessary chances of course. Uh, and hope that, uh, hope that things are well out on the left coast. Uh, next question comes from miss Ellen up in Massachusetts says, uh, for those of us that live in the tundra, which the tundra is not 
Jen C., she's even more confused on the tundra than I am. Winnipeg, tundra. Massachusetts, not tundra. But for those of us that live in the tundra, during winter months, is there a cross-training activity that you would recommend that might take the place of an easy run? Are all activities created equal? I want to try cross-country cross-country skiing and add in some more spinning. Any other suggestions is one better than the other. Um, Ellen, you, you would get some people that would make the argument that the closer the activity is to running, the better it is because you're working, you're working the same muscles in a similar fashion. So they're, they're, they're maintaining their muscle memory. You're improving their muscle memory. You're, you're improving the muscles that you need for running. Um, and, and I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I would, I would come at it from a little different angle and say that one of the values of cross training is that you're working your body differently. So you're, you're working some different muscle groups. You're working some, maybe the same muscles in a different way. So they're getting a different type of stress, uh, so that they're, they're being challenged in a different way. And that's going to help make you more durable and, and more fit as a runner. When you do get back to, to pounding the pavement or out on the trails or whatever, when you get that, that warm day in the winter, you can get out there and get some miles without having to worry about slipping and falling on some ice or things like that. So I, I, I actually like the idea of doing things that aren't as related to running. So doing your swimming, doing your, your biking, doing your rowing, uh, things like that, that are, are really pretty dramatically different from the running motion because you're working your body in a different way. You're still working your cardiovascular system. Of course, you're, you're still, you're still staying fit, but you're just working in a different way. That said, I don't necessarily say that one is better than the other. So if, if you want to do cross country skiing, do cross country skiing. If you want to get some snowshoes and do some snowshoe running, do some snowshoe running. You know, if you want to get on the elliptical, get on the elliptical, even though that's pretty similar to, to the running motion, it's still different. You're still, you know, getting rid of the pounding. You're still working differently. Uh, it, it's different enough, um, but it's still going to help keep you fit. Uh, so, so really it just comes down to what, what do you want to do? You know, it's not that all, all activities are created equal. They're all different. Of course. But as far as benefit, I would say that they all tend to be pretty equally beneficial. There's you know different pros, different cons for each type of cross training activity. Um, but I you know for for us mortals, I can't think of one that would be dramatically better or worse than the others. You know, it's it's what do you like? What do you enjoy? What are you more likely to, to stick with? And instead of saying I tried it once and now I don't really want to go back to the gym because this sucks, like what do you enjoy doing? Or you know if you're going to invest in a piece of equipment for the house. You know, what, what are you going to actually like to do as opposed to, you know, if you would rather get on the spin bike than do the rowing, um, you know, then, then don't get a rower, right? Get it, get a spin bike or, or vice versa. What, what do you enjoy doing from a cross training perspective? Do that. And you're going to see benefits. You're going to maintain that fitness. You're going to build that fitness. You're going to work your body in a different way. Um, all the benefits come with all the different types of cross training. Um, so I, I say whatever floats your boat is, is the best place to be. Next question comes from Scott. This is a very simple question. After a run, should I be stretching first or foam rolling first? I usually do the roller and then the static stretch. Am I good? Uh, yes. Yes, Scott. I would say you're good. You know, I, I honestly, I think that this one is one of those uh, six to one half dozen of the other type of, of questions where um, you maybe, maybe could make an argument. I think if, you know, gun to my head, if I had to choose one or the other and I had to make a, a firm declaration of which one should go first, I think you're, I would say you're doing it right. I would say foam roll first, stretch second, because when you're foam rolling, you're breaking up those adhesions in the muscle. And then when you're stretching, you're, you, you're having muscles that are slightly more loose because of those adhesions being broken up. So you're going to get maybe just a little bit more from the stretch. We're talking fractions of a fraction of a percent better. I think, um, this is totally non-scientific. Uh, but I, you know, the, 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 the amount of benefit difference between one and the other, very minimal. 
Um, and honestly, if you're doing both after every run, if you're stretching and foam rolling or foam rolling and stretching, whichever order after every run, you are dramatically better than I am. My friend, as much as I preach the value of stretching and foam rolling, uh, you know, I, I half-ass a stretch after a run, I foam roll usually in the evenings. So, you know, you're getting it when the muscles are warm, which is probably better. Um, but as long as you're doing it, it's, it's a, it's a two thumbs up for me. So, uh, if, if your routine seems to be working, which sounds like it is, keep on keeping on my friend. And if somebody's listening and they tend to, and you tend to stretch before you foam roll and that seems like it's working, keep on keeping on my friend. Uh, either, either way, as long as you're making it happen, you are going to get the benefits from the stretching and the foam rolling. So uh, great question, but uh, don't, you know, that's one of those where the devil's in the details. Don't get caught up and worry about the, the perfect. Just keep doing what you're doing. Next question comes from John it says, uh, I'd like to know the secret of fueling for a marathon. How did you fuel for your last one? Um, so, so yeah, John, you know, if, if, if I had the secret of fueling for a marathon, Oh baby, could I, uh, could I, uh, cash in? That would be my, my cash cow. I'd be able to retire. Uh, probably keep doing the show though. Cause I really like doing this stuff, but, um, you know, Vex would be able to retire. There we go. I, I could retire my wife, uh, and, and I could just keep, keep working and having fun because if I had the secret for fueling for a marathon, every runner in the world would be eaten out of the palm of my hand, sending me all their money so I could give them that secret. Uh, that said, there is no secret. Uh, you know, everybody as as I've said many times on many different, you know, related to many different topics, everybody's different. Every runner is unique. Uh, what works for one may or may not work for the other. Uh, I think that nutrition is probably the most important area to be willing to try different things and run the very real risk that you may blow up, that you may have a, a, a really bad race or a really bad training run related to your fuel, fueling choices. Uh, and, and you have to you know be willing to accept that in the, the, uh, you know, with, with the, with the goal of continuing to improve, continuing to get better, continuing to get stronger, uh, continuing to figure out what works for you from a fueling perspective. You, you know, you might have to, you might have to, to strike out a few times before you hit that next home run. So, um, you know, when it comes to fueling, there is no secret, try different things. Uh, what, what I did for my last one, what, what worked for me and what, what has been working for me probably isn't, uh, something that you're going to want to dive right into because it's been part of that, this whole process, this whole year long journey of becoming fat adapted and, and switching to a low carb, high fat diet. So for my last marathon, actually the last two marathons I ran both, both, uh, a Prairie fire out in Wichita and seven bridges up in Chattanooga. Um, I didn't eat at all before the race. And, and actually I say that slightly untrue. Uh, I had some, some, you know, chopped up fruit, fresh fruit in the, uh, in the hotel room, in the fridge had like a piece or two of, you know, of, of pineapple or melon or something like two bites, three bites of, of fruit, uh, before the race had my, my pack with me. So I was carrying two water bottles that both had, uh, vitamin C powder and salt in them, uh, as well as, as water, obviously that was, but no, no calories. Uh, and I drank those for the first, uh, 16, 17, 18 miles, something like that. And by the time I got to about mile 18, 19, somewhere in there, found an aid station, uh, combined the, the water from the two bottles that I had been drinking into, into one bottle. So I had one bottle of straight water with, with salt and, uh, vitamin C in it. And then took the other bottle, filled that up and put a packet of tailwind in there. So I had a little bit of calories, uh, for the last, you know, eight to 10 miles, uh, or I guess six to eight miles of the marathon, um, for, for Prairie fire. That's all I did and felt great, felt strong, pushed all the way to the finish. No issues for, uh, seven bridges. I, uh, had the opportunity 
to eat some potato chips when I filled up my water bottle. And I have a, I have a very strong rule that says in a long distance race in a marathon or longer, never pass up the opportunity to have a handful of potato chips during a race. So I got my, I, I got, you know, whatever, six, six potato chips or five potato chips, whatever. I could grab a, you know, a couple fingers worth, uh, and ate those and also had a little piece of banana at, at some point. Um, mostly just to help get the, the potato chip taste out of my mouth. Uh, and that was it. So, you know, for both of those races, I probably had, you know, somewhere between 150 and 200 calories uh, before you combining before and during my race and was absolutely great. Why? Because I've been working on becoming fat adapted because I don't need nearly as many, uh, f- you know, simple carbs to keep myself powered, to keep myself going strong. Um, so if that works for you, which is a, a process, I think that that's the best way to, uh, if I had to say, what is the best way? I would say that's the best because you're eliminating those risks of eating too much, not eating enough, bonking. You know, the more things you put in your system, the more likely you are to have some GI issues to have to waddle to the porta potty or blow out behind a tree, something like that. Uh, which none of those things are good. None of those things are what we want to have to experience on race day. You know, even even you know the 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 faster runners among us have talked about having a race go south because they ate too much too much goo or not enough goo or something like that. So if you can get to a point where you don't need to eat anything or very little on race day, I feel like that's, that's the better option just because it's, it's fewer variables, fewer things that could potentially turn your race South. So, um, I don't know that that's a secret I can sell, but you know, from, from the science that I've read from the year long experiment on myself, um, I mean, if I, if I don't need to fuel for a marathon, that's great. You know, and, and, uh, the, 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 I think that that's, that's again, one less variable to have to deal with. So if you can make that happen, uh, I think that's the best choice. Otherwise, it's all about trial and error. What works for you to eat before a race, during a race, things like that to keep you feeling strong. Don't be afraid to try different things because what works for me may not work for you. What works for somebody else may not work for you as well. So you got to find what works for you as opposed to finding some, this is the best thing to eat because marketing, you know, like find what works for you and stick with it as much as you can. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the question there, John, hope that all helps and makes a little bit of sense. Uh, Jeff, next question comes from Jeff says in my last two hilly ultras, my shin muscles have become very tight and sore. I have not had this happen on other long runs and it doesn't cause me grief after, you know, for longer than a few days after the race, what exercises and or stretches do you recommend to condition this area? And what can I do if it starts occurring in a race to stop it from ruining my race? My A race next year is a mountainous overseas ultra in June. So it's something that I'll need to get sorted before then. Uh, great, great question, Jeff. And, and it's definitely, uh, you know, I have a, I have a, an idea that, you know, this is one of those may or may not be the case just because I don't know exactly, you know, all of the details surrounding what you've got going on and exact locations. And, and, uh, you know, when you say your shin muscles, there's, there's a few different things that could be going on there, but if, if, you know, reading between the lines as best as I can, I'm thinking you're talking about your, your anterior tibialis, which is the muscle that runs from the inside of your shin down along your shin bone, uh, into the arch of your foot. Okay. And it's kind of like the shin splints muscle. It technically is the shin splints muscle. When you get shin splints, it's that muscle technically tearing away from the shin bone, from where it attaches. And a lot of times what, what causes that is weak muscles in your arch. A lot of times people blame it on, you know, poor arch support in their shoes. You know, I don't, my, my shoes have, have broken down from too many miles. They don't have good arch support. So it causes me to have shin splints. Yes. That's, that's one way of looking at it. But if you strengthen the muscles in your feet, you would, wouldn't need as much support in your shoes. 
and you wouldn't have the shin splints. So what, what I'm wondering or what I'm going to encourage you to try, especially if that sounds about right as far as the location of the pain, is to work on strengthening the muscles in your feet uh, by walking around barefoot, by doing things on your tiptoes, by by trying to pick up, you know, pick up little things with your, with your toes, um, pulling a towel, have, setting a towel down on the floor, sitting in a chair with your foot on the, on the towel and grabbing the towel with your toes, pulling it towards you, extending your toes back out, grabbing a little farther up on the towel, pulling it towards you, things like that, that are going to work those muscles in your feet. And I, I have a link in the show notes today to a post I'd done with video from a couple of years ago. That's all about how to strengthen your feet. So if you need some, some visual examples that may help as well, disruns.com slash what I say? The number was six, five, four. I think I'll take you to the show notes for today's episode. Um, but if you do that, you're going to strengthen those muscles in your, in your arch, in your feet. And what I'm, what I'm thinking, what my, what my hypothesis is here, Jeff, is that when you're on these long ultras, these long runs, um, just over time, those muscles that are in your feet start to get fatigued. They start to, to, to weaken over, over extra use. And so every time you're, you're stepping, you're pounding, um, you know, your, your arch, flattens to absorb shock. That's what it's designed to do. There's nothing wrong with that. But if those muscles in your arch are weak or, or run out of endurance, they're going to, your arch is going to collapse more, which is going to put more strain on this muscle. that's in your shin that runs down to help to support the arch. You're putting more strain there, which is more of a pulling sensation, more of a tension, which is going to result in that pain. Um, so if you can strengthen the muscles in your foot, strengthen the muscles in your arch, you're going to be putting less pull on that, that muscle in your shin, the, the anterior tibialis, later in the race, which means that you're not going to have as much pain, if any pain in that area, as far as what you can do once it starts, man, once it starts, you're kind of SOL. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do. Maybe, maybe get your arch taped that might help it a little bit, but it's going to feel awkward in your shoe if it's not something you're used to. So that, that may cause more problems than it's worth solving. Um, but hopefully stretching that muscle a bit, a little bit of light rolling, light massage work on it might help as well when it's, especially after a race, when it's sore, but if, if it seems to feel good most of the time, but when you're really at those long distances, that's when it flares up. Sounds like a muscle weakness in your foot that uh, just doing some simple strength training exercises might help, or at least hopefully will help. So uh, let me know how that goes for you, Jeff. Hopefully that uh, helps and it's something that you can easily mix into your routine without, you know, it's not like you need to go to the gym to strengthen the muscles in your feet. Just stand on one foot, balance it on one foot, walk around barefoot in the house, things like that will uh, definitely help uh, build up the strength in that area. And then hopefully that'll solve the problem for you. Next question comes from Lee. She says, uh, I'm 16 days away from my first marathon and was diagnosed with strep. Talk about the taper tantrums. I think, do you think I need to adjust my time goals? So with, with, uh, with this situation, and obviously this one's fairly particular to Lee, but this, this could be anybody who's, you know, two weeks out from a race and something you get sick or there's something crazy that happens where you, you're, you're kind of thrown for a loop, uh, with a couple weeks to go. Does that mean that your time goals are, are out of luck? And I don't, I don't think so. And in this case, Lee, as, as we talked about a little bit in the, the, the comments of after your question, uh, you know, get yourself on some antibiotics, get yourself plenty of rest, and you know, good antibiotics should should pretty much wipe out the strep throat in seven to ten days, which means that you've got you know ten plus days and or you know somewhere between six and ten days for your race, uh, which is plenty of time to to then recover, you know. To, to, to make sure you're eating well, well-fueled things like that, because you're in the taper period. It's not like you need to train a whole bunch at this point, you know, two weeks out from, from your, your marathon, you've already done the work. You've already put in the long runs. You've already put in the mileage, you know, you're going to run typically, if you weren't sick, you would have run a couple times during this, this taper period, but those runs aren't going to help you to be more fit on race day. They're just kind of burn off some excess, excess energy, keep things moving, keep things going in the right direction. So you got sick. So you, you rested, hopefully you rested. 
took took several days off, took the antibiotics, drank the you know the, the chicken noodle soup, whatever, all of those types of things to help you feel better. If you're feeling good now with a week out until the race, or at least you know several days out before the race, there's nothing that makes me think that you couldn't go out there and still you know aim for your time goals that you had before that. Uh, assuming the training went well leading up to it, you should be pretty good, pretty good. So hopefully, hopefully Lee, everything uh, has you know gone well with the, with the. Uh, the, the antibiotics and, and getting getting some rest and feeling better and uh, good luck on your race. Can't wait to hear how it goes. Hopefully it goes well. Next question comes from Melissa says, Hey Denny, how often do you recommend people do speed workouts? I'm a very recreational runner, not anyone who is out to win races. I just liked participating and uh, would like to finish a little bit sooner rather than later. So uh, how often should you be doing speed work? Melissa? I, I don't know. Um, in general, I would say that most runners, especially most runners that are doing speed work, probably do more than they should. Uh, probably would would see more benefit from doing less speed work, more base training, and and mixing in that that speed work once in a while. Um, so for you, Melissa, uh, not knowing exactly what your training is like, not knowing exactly what your fitness base is, um, but just knowing that you're a recreational recreational runner, you'd like to get a little bit faster, but you know you're not you're not out there. Um, tying all your identity to your, your pace goals. And uh, I run, I run, you know, sub 30 minute 5k or whatever, whatever things might be. Um, you know, I would say maybe once every couple of weeks, do some speed stuff, uh, because there are, there are benefits of speed work. There are, you know, it helps strengthen your bones, strengthen your muscles, strengthen your, your tendons. Um, you know, it, it can improve your form. Uh, there's, there's lots of good reasons to do speed work, but think of speed work as kind of like the salt when you're cooking, when you're, when you're sitting down to, to dinner. A little bit of salt enhances the flavor of your meal. It, it makes it makes it better, but too much salt can ruin an otherwise really good dish. Right? Almost make it inedible. Same thing with your speed work. A little bit of speed work can can really complement the easy miles that you're doing, the, the recreational runs that you're going on, the time with your friends. Um, a little bit of speed work can help you run faster. It can help you be more efficient runner. But too much, and you're you're treading down that road of of overtraining being fatigued all the time, which is a question we're going to get to in a minute, um, you know, possibly leading to injury. So err on the side of, of less speed work than more, but when you do it, commit to it. If you're going to do speed training, go hard, whether it's an interval, whether it's a tempo run, whether it's 30 seconds, quarter mile, half mile, whatever your, your speed work is, when you do it, do it. Don't beat around the bush. Don't half-ass it. Go hard. Then you know, on, on your easy runs, go easy. Um, and that's, that's going to help you get those benefits without pushing too much, without adding quote unquote, too much salt to your dish. If you, if you're following the metaphor. So hopefully that, that helps Melissa once, once every couple of weeks, every three weeks. I mean, I, I do probably twice a month. Um, sometimes it might be twice in, in a 10 day span. And then the rest of the month is, is off. Sometimes it's, it's beginning of the month, end of the month. It kind of depends on how I'm feeling how my body feels, what, what I have on the calendar. Do I have races coming up? What, what have my long runs been like? Am I doing a, a math test anytime soon? So there's various variables that, that would determine. Um, but you know, mix it in a couple times a month and you'll, you'll see some of those benefits for sure. And, and help you get to those, that finish line just a little bit quicker. Um, and Barb has the next question. It says, uh, piggybacking off of, off of, um, Melissa's question. 
How do you incorporate speed work into heart rate training? Keeping my heart rate down has been my focus, but how slash when should I add speed to the workouts? So, uh, you know, Barb kind of, you know, piggybacking off of the answer I gave to Melissa, um, you know, you can, you can mix in, there's nothing wrong with mixing in a speed workout every, every couple of weeks or something like that when you're heart rate training. Uh, but the key, like I said to Melissa, and, and I'll say to you, and I've said dozens of other times is when you're going to go hard, go hard. Don't, don't get into that, that moderate, like I'm kind of working hard, but I'm not kind of working hard, but it's, it's, you know, a few beats above my, my heart rate limit. Like, no, if you're going to, if you're going to do a speed session, whatever, whatever variety of, of speed training options, you know, you, you, you're choosing to, uh, to adhere to blow it out of the water. Don't worry about trying to keep your heart rate in, in a zone or keep it within, you know, 10 beats above or something. Just go hard and don't worry about what your numbers say. Turn off the alarm on your, on your, on your watch or, or set a workout to where it's not tracking heart rate or where it's not alerting you for heart rate zones that day. Um, and, and don't worry about it. Just go hard, run fast, run, run, run the workout, push yourself, push your limits. Um, and then, you know, the next time you run, Go right back down to your heart rate training, right back to your heart rate zones. Keep things nice and easy. You'll probably be sore for a couple of days, but then keep things nice and easy. Uh, and, and you'll get all of those benefits from the, the, the speed training, uh, without overtaxing your system. So that, uh, you know, when it comes to heart rate training, when it comes to speed work, less is more typically. Um, but when you do it, commit, when you do it, you know, don't just, don't just sprinkle two, two little grains of salt on it and think that's good enough. Put some salt on your dish, not too much put enough on it that it makes a difference that it enhances the flavor that you, you know, put enough speed work into your training diet to where you're getting something out of it, uh, and do it, you know, do it well so that you're getting something out of it, but don't do too much. Cause that can, that can cause you uh, problems down the road as well. So, uh, getting back, you gotta get several more questions, but, uh, just want to mention once again, DKMS, uh, thank you guys again for all of your support. And, and another way that you can support DKMS, if you're so interested is to uh, join their charity team and, and get entry into some of the races there so that they are associated with. Um, you know, uh, Marine Corps is one New York city marathon is, an, is another one. I believe the flying pig marathon is, is one that they've been associated with in the past. Uh, and you can find that information out at DKMS.org as well. And if, if you want, uh, the contact, uh, from, uh, Michelle, who's kind of organizes all that good stuff. Um, you can, you can contact me. I'll get your email address. Um, and, and you can email her directly and let her know that you heard about it, heard about, you know, DKMS from the show. You want to get involved. You want to run for the charity and uh, she'll set you up and, and you can do that for those races. If you want to get entry into those races, you can also do it for any other race that you want to run. So you can run as a charity runner for a Disney race or your local race or, you know, whatever, whatever races float your boat. Uh, if you want to run as charity runner for DKMS, they will help you make that happen, help you set your fundraising goals, help you reach your fundraising goals. Um, and it's just another way to give back to an organization that is, is, you know, again, doing everything they can to fight the fight against blood cancer, which is uh, a very noble ambition. So appreciate DKMS, all they're doing. Uh, if you want to find out more, DKMS.org is the website. Get yourself into the pool uh, and find and get any other questions you might have answered. Text the word amazing. That's A-M-A-Z-I-N-G to the number 50555. So back to the questions. I think we've got, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 more, something like that. Who knows? We'll just keep plowing through and we get to the end. We will get to the end. But the next question comes from Sharon. She says, all right, ultras. You know, I'm a fan of ultras here, Sharon. So let's bring it on. Bring on that question. She says, I'm con considering investing in a pair. I've been running in Brooks Levitates for the last year and a half or so, give or take. And since I started running, I've been in a neutral shoe. I tried the ultra paradigm on a three mile run and they felt really good. I liked the cushioning and my form felt better with the zero drop. Later, I was talking with someone from my local running store who said that the paradigm was more of a stability shoe. Would I be better off in a different style? What do you think? So the paradigms are a little bit tricky 
because they've kind of tended to bounce back and forth between a, a mild stability shoe and a neutral shoe. Um, and honestly, I mean, there's not much that's changed from one model to the next. It's a little bit, you know, they, they've they've made the changes that, that would classify it from one to the other. But uh, it's not a dramatic stability shoe. It's not the kind of shoe that really forces you into a certain position or posture. So I say all that to say this. If you, if you like the Paradigm, um, and I've run in a pair of Paradigms that were classed as stability shoes, and I do not wear stability shoes, they caused me zero issues. They were comfortable shoes. I enjoyed them. Um, I still run in them on occasion, even though it's, it's an older model, but they were a stability model shoe. Um, they're a good shoe. They're a good shoe. It's more cushion than I tend to prefer when it comes to, uh, you know, the, the, the stack height of my shoes, but that's just a personal preference. There's nothing wrong with that. So if, if you ran in them and they felt good, go for it. You're like, yes, they're technically a stability shoe, but the, the way that they do the stability on the, on the paradigms. And I think on the, the other ultra uh, stability shoes as well is more of something that if you run with a neutral gait pattern, you don't even notice it, but if you're off, it kind of self corrects So it's kind of one of those almost best of both world situations, which is really good because most of the, most runners that use stability shoes don't need, I don't think need as much stability. I think most of us, our, our bodies know what's right. And even though we might, you know, pronate a bit or whatever, um, if we're running with a neutral shoe, our bodies are going to figure it out and they're going to make it work. Every once in a while, there's somebody that really needs a stability shoe, a, a motion control shoe, but I think they're as a whole over prescribed. Um, and that's from talking to some shoe experts, some foot experts, some foot doctors, things like that. So, um, but that said, again, the paradigm, it, it works. So if, if it's comfortable for you, grab them. And, and the good thing about ultra, um, is they have a really straightforward return policy, 30 days. You can wear them, you can beat them up. You can wear them out on the trail through the mud, whatever. Um, obviously these are road shoes, so you're probably not going to be out on the trail with them, but you can, you can wear them. And no matter how beat up they look or how dirty they are, or how many miles you put on them, if it, within 30 days, you're starting to notice that the things aren't feeling right, that maybe that stability shoe is not for you, you can return them. No questions asked, no issues at all. They'll give you your money back. You can get a different shoe. And if, if you're looking for something different, uh, I would say maybe try the Torrens, not quite as much cushion as the Paradigm, but definitely a stability shoe. And if you tried the, the new, uh, the new Paradigms that have the, the knit upper, um, which is super comfortable, the, uh, the Torrens also have an option with the knit upper. Probably I haven't tried the, the new paradigm, so I can't give you a, a complete comparison, but I imagine they feel pretty much the same on the, on the top, slightly less cushion on the bottom, but, but enough that you're not going to notice the difference. Um, and so that might be a good alternative. That's definitely a neutral shoe for you as well. The, the Torrin 3.5 knit is a, is a, that is a good shoe. Um, but hope that, hope that helps Sharon, but definitely, you know, if, if they feel good, go for it. And again, if, if you have a problem, you've got a month to figure out that they're not the right shoe for you, return them, no issues and get you something else. Uh, Edu, next question says, Hey Diz, uh, I want to incorporate Yasso 800s for my marathon training cycle as a way to test speed because I have an ambitious time goal for my next 26.2. I have them scheduled at week three and week six on an 18 week cycle. Then I'm debating when to do them again. When else would you suggest and what do you think of this workout as a way to predict marathon performance? So, you know, I mean, I think that, that you could definitely get away with doing them uh, again. Um, I don't know that you need to, but you, you could, if you got week three, week six, maybe again, you know, week nine, even week 12, I don't think would be too late. Um, you still have six weeks to recover after a good hard workout. I mean, it, and, and knowing, knowing enough about you, I do like y- your fitness is not poor. Uh, and you said you got a, an ambitious goal, so you can handle hard workouts and bounce back as long as you're doing your other training intelligently, running, running, you know, easy enough on your easy days and things like that, not grouping a bunch of hard workouts together. So, you know, you could, you could mix it in easily another time, another couple of times uh, on an 18 week cycle. Um, 
And, and it might be a good confidence builder as you continue to get closer to race day that your fitness is, is improving and that you're, you're on track and that you, you have a, you know, a good chance at hitting your goal. So, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe every, every three weeks, every four weeks, maybe week 10 and week 14, um, break it up just a little bit more as, as you're getting some of those longer training runs. So you're getting a higher volume, maybe not maybe spread them out a little bit more. Um, but, but this is one of those situations where creating a good plan is as much art as it is science. There, there's not a, a, a right or wrong answer for this. It's kind of, you know, based on how your body's feeling, how the training has been going, do you want to mix it in again? Mix it in again. If, if things haven't been going as well and, or, or you're really feeling fatigued, don't force it, you know, and, and take it a little bit easier and, and shift it to the next week or something like that. So I say it's up to you. Um, but, uh, you can definitely mix it in with, uh, without, I would think any concern really at all. Um, as for using the Yasos as a way to predict marathon performance, that I am much more skeptical of. Um, I, I honestly don't think it's a great way to predict performance across the board. Uh, and even Bart himself, if you, if you talk to Bart, he'll tell you that it wasn't, it was never designed to be this thing that was, that has been, you know, handed down from the gods as if you can run the 800s in 330, then you will be able to run a 330 marathon. Like that's not what it was. It was something that he discovered had a pretty good correlation for himself. So if he could do the 800s at a certain pace, then typically that meant that his training was going well enough that he could run the marathon at that, you know, at that time goal, that, that how it correlates out. Um, not, not universal, not across the board. So you may find that it works well for you and it correlates well for you. And in which case, great. You may find that it has nothing to do with your marathon finish time. Also great. It's still a great workout. It's still a great workout, a challenging workout, uh, the type of thing that, that can give you some confidence that you're, that you're strong, that you're fit, that your fitness is improving. But as for a, an accurate way to predict the marathon performance, that's not what it was designed to do straight from the word, the mouth of the man himself. So, um, don't use it as a, as a predictor of, of marathon finish time. Use it as a predictor of how well is training going. If, if you're getting stronger, running them faster, then training is going well and your goal is in reach. So hopefully, hopefully that all makes sense to do and, and have a, a great training cycle. It's uh, 18 weeks is a big one, but if you've got a, a good goal, sometimes that's what you got to do. So hopefully that all goes well for you. Uh, Julie says, from chiming in from, uh, from Egypt, how much turkey should I factor into my training plan? Girl, all the turkey, all of it. <laughs> Coming around Thanksgiving, man, eat that turkey. Eat that turkey. Um, so hopefully hopefully you got to celebrate a little bit in uh, in, in in Egypt there, Julie. Uh, and and uh, have, have more than a few things for you to be thankful for, I hope, as well. Uh, next question comes from Holly. She says, all right, I've Googled this because I thought it might be a quote-unquote thing, but found nothing, so I'll ask you. So, so Holly, you're asking me a question that you can't even find an answer for on Google? Good luck with this. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, she says, since I have been running long runs, 12 plus miles, my 5Ks are suffering. It seems like I cannot run as fast as I used to. Not sure if muscle memory is kicking in and my body just wants to go marathon speed or nothing at all, but it's really become difficult to go sub nine minute miles, like nearly impossible. Also, my glutes and hips don't want to work. I've started a strict stretching slash strengthening regimen and seems to be helping a bit, but I still cannot go as fast as I used to. What is going on? So Holly, a few things with this, with this question. Um, one, your, your body doesn't forget how to run. And this isn't me being critical. I promise this isn't me being critical. Uh, but your body doesn't forget how to run fast. Okay. Uh, if it did, we never would have made it out of the savanna or out of the, the jungle or wherever, wherever we as a species, as a, as a, as a you know, group, uh, evolved from that has lived and, and died and hunter gatherers and things like that. If we, if, if we couldn't figure out how to run fast because a lion was chasing us, 
we wouldn't be here today. So our bodies don't forget how to run fast. They're, they're able to do that. Okay. And, and even when you run quote unquote slow, when you, when you're stretching your, your longer runs out for training for a marathon, um, and not doing as much speed work, your body still knows how to run fast. Now you might lose a, a, a fraction off your top end speed, but that's, that's neither here nor there. It's not because your top end speed has, has dropped down just a little bit that you're struggling to get below nine minute miles. I don't think judging from your question. Uh, I don't think that that's, that's, that's the situation. Um, what more than likely is the situation, or at least what my, what my hunch is the situation is that you're running your long runs and probably your, your other runs as well too fast. So as, as you're, uh, strength, you know, lengthening out your, your long runs, you're getting into 12 mile territories as, you, as you're working towards training for uh, a marathon. Um, your body's in a constant state of fatigue. If my assumption is correct, that you're running all these runs a bit faster than you should. So my, my recommendation would be to slow down, slow down on those long runs, slow down on your easy runs during the week to almost a painfully slow level. Um, you know, people have been hearing me talk about heart rate training for a year and how maddeningly slow that means you might have to run. That might be what you need to do because then what's going to happen is when you get to your, your next 5k race, or when you get to a good measuring stick workout, you're not going to go into it with, with tired legs, with fatigued legs from, from all of these miles that you've been running too fast. You're going to go in with, with legs that are, that feel good, that feel fresh, that even though you've been running these longer miles at a slower pace, it's not a fast enough slow pace, if that makes sense, that it's stressing your muscles. It's not, it's not causing that, that buildup of fatigue. Like a lot of people do when they run their, their runs, especially their easy runs too fast to be easy, but not fast enough to be hard. So if you do that and can commit to it for several weeks, I would be willing to bet that your next time you do a speed workout, or if you run a, if you have a, a you know, a holiday 5k or a new year's 5k, something like that coming up, I would bet that you'd go out there and you could hammer it. You'd go, You'd, you'd surprise yourself at how fast you ran that nine minute miles wouldn't be that difficult at all. Um, because you're running on fresh legs or fresher legs, even with keeping your volume where it is, or even with continuing to, to ramp up those long runs by not doing the, doing them as intensely by not doing them as fast, your body's going to recover much quicker than what it is right now. So that is my assumption. Obviously I don't, uh, don't know all of your details and all of, of everything that's going on, but that would be my guess. If you slow down, I bet you'll get faster. I know it sounds ridiculous, but, uh, you know, I mean, if I can, if I can run a marathon with a nine nineteen average pace, uh, after doing nothing but running ten thirty or slower for months and months and months, clearly there's something to running slow and easy and being able to show up on race day and, and dropping the hammer a little bit. And no doubt that I could run a pretty solid 5k right now. If I was foolish enough, <laughs> foolish enough to run a 5k, uh, again, with no speed training, just because my base is so strong, your body doesn't forget. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just gotta, you gotta give it the right tools to be able to go fast. And that means that you gotta let it be rested, let it be recovered, let it be fresh on the day that you want to, uh, to tap into that speed. So hopefully all that helps a little bit, Holly, if you got more questions, let me know, and we can kind of try to work through it a bit. Uh, but, but a lot of times slowing down, will help you get faster more than just about anything else. Um, Next question comes from Karen. She says, I know you are supposed to get some protein in you after a run, but if you only do a three to four mile quick run, do you really need to get some protein in within 30 minutes? And what's your take on protein bars if you don't have much time? And what is your favorite thing to have after a run? So Karen, I'm going to challenge your assumption a little bit and say, why are you like, you say, you know that you're supposed to get some protein in you after a run. Okay. I, I don't know that. Uh, I know that that's what people tell you. I know that that's what the, the quote unquote gurus say. I know that that's what 
the uh, anybody who makes a recovery product will tell you. But I also know that I really haven't eaten anything after a run, after a race, after a long run, um, certainly within 30 minutes, maybe a handful of times all year. Um, you know, that's usually only if it's at a race where there's something that's right there. Uh, typically I get my runs in, I'm, I'm finished running by about six o'clock in the morning and I don't eat until two o'clock ish in the afternoon. Sometimes, sometimes noon, sometimes two, sometimes three, sometimes four. Um, and I'm, I'm doing just fine. I'm, I'm continuing to make progress, feeling as good as I ever have, uh, running well, feeling strong. Uh, so I, I would challenge the assumption that says that you absolutely need to have protein after a run. That said, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, and, and I don't think, I think that, uh, you're onto something. We say that if you're only going a couple of miles, do you really need to it? Nah, especially if you're running them easy, you're not doing the type of damage. So the, the reason that, that the quote unquote gurus say that you need to have protein after a run is to help with the recovery process. So you've just damaged a bunch of cells, damaged a bunch of muscle tissue and our bodies, you know, like to use protein to help repair muscle tissue. Um, a little bit oversimplified, but that's basically what, what, what we're talking about here. Uh, so you want to get that, that good protein in there quickly to help with the recovery process. But if you're only going a few miles at an easy pace, if it's just an easy run, you're not doing that much damage. You, hopefully you're not doing any damage. Really. You're just, you're just working the muscles, getting some things going, but you're not pushing hard enough to do any damage. So there's not any damage to, to need to be undone, um, or very minimal. And our bodies are capable of handling that stuff. Again, you're going back to, to what I, what I said, uh, earlier about, you know, we never would have made it out of the savannah or out of the jungle or out of wherever from, from avoiding predators. If we had to have uh, a certain amount of, of protein within 30 minutes after our run, you know, like how many days in a row did, did our ancestors have to run, cover a lot of ground, um, and often do that without eating, but every couple, three days, or, you know, they, they're on the, on the hunt and they're, they're chasing an animal all day before they finally, uh, either make the kill or don't. Well, they, they may not be eaten right away. They may not be eaten that day at all. And yet somehow our bodies still, their bodies were still able to go again the next day and the next day until they finally got that, that, you know, killed that animal and were able to, to bring it home and feed the, feed the tribe. Um, so all that to say, our bodies are pretty good at handling, not eating all the time, especially after a run, if we train it that way. So part of, you know, part of, again, my, my experiment this year with the heart rate training with the, with the high fat, low carb, it's been intermittent fasting as well. So I only eat for about a six hour window. Typically I'm not real, real meticulous with that, but it's about a six hour window each day. Um, the rest of the time I let my body figure out how to take care of itself, how to, how to use stored body fat for fuel, things like that. And that's what also will happen after a run. If you don't eat something right away, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Your body's not going to fall apart. You're not going to not make any progress that day. You're not going to become injured all of a sudden. You're going to be okay. So what is my favorite thing to have after a run? A cup of coffee, <laughs> period. A cup of coffee. I don't care if it's summertime, wintertime, hot as balls, chilly outside, whatever it is. When I'm done with a run, I want some coffee, period. And if you, if you want to put a little bit of butter in it, that's good too but definitely just give me a cup of coffee. Uh, what's my take on protein bars? Most protein bars have so much freaking sugar in them that I wouldn't touch them with a 10 foot pole. Um, obviously that has a bit to do with my new dietary preferences of, of high fat, low carb. Um, but you know, all these, almost all of these protein bars market themselves as being so healthy. Look at how many carbs are in, look how many grams of sugar are in most protein bars and it'll blow your mind. Uh, so, you know, I think that, that, I would rather not eat than have that much sugar. Um, you know, I mean, we're talking a lot of these protein bars have more, more grams of carbs. Not that I really count. I don't really count anymore, but you know, they have as much carb in one bar as I usually have in most days. Um, so I, I'm not going to blow my, my carb budget on, you know, a, a, a mass produced 
processed protein bar. I, I just, just my preference. If you're on the go and you don't have much time, they're not a terrible option. And especially if you're not on a low carb eating style, not terrible. Are there better options? Sure. Are there worse options? You better believe it. So it's kind of something middle of the road. Depends on, on which type of bar. Depends on the label. Depends on your, your taste preferences and your dietary preferences. Um, it's an option. Not a great option. Not the worst option. It's, it's an option as far as I see it. Um, but uh, thanks for the question, Karen. I hope I didn't rain on your parade too much there. Um, but just trying to challenge some of that conventional wisdom because, um, again, there is no one-size-fits-all. So you might feel like you need to eat right after you run but you might not. So I would say, you know, to sum it all up, to wrap it all up, Karen, that's maybe the, my best answer is listen to your body. Your body will tell you, okay? If you're not feeling hungry after, after a race or after a hard workout, there's no need to force it. When, when, you're, when your body's ready to take in nutrients, it'll tell you. If you're, if you're hungry, eat something. The healthier food you eat, the better. The more your body's able to, to use those nutrients, protein or otherwise, to... to do the repair work to speed the recovery process. But if you're not hungry, there's no need to force something because some, some, you know, nutrition company said that if you, you know, this is the best thing for recovery after a, a hard workout, like, come on, please, please. Our bodies were somehow able to, uh, to, to do just fine thousands of years ago before we had any of these recovery drinks or nutrition scientists or whatever, uh, optimal maybe, but do or die, do or die life or death. You don't need to eat right after a run. Um, Next question comes from Katie. She says, my last and so far only half marathon destroyed my quads. I was walking downstairs backwards for three days. You don't even want to know what a, what a chore it was to get on and off the toilet. Girl, I've been there. I know what that's like. Uh, she says the race was quite hilly, but my training plan also included hilly long runs and hill intervals. And I never had the quad issue after those workouts. What can I incorporate into my training plan to stop this from happening again? So Katie, I, I, it, it sounds like you did everything right. You did everything you should have done. And it also sounds like you pushed yourself on race day. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's, that's awesome. That's, uh, and, and if you're going to push yourself, if you're going to work hard, if you're going to really race a race, you get to, uh, you get to experience that soreness almost as a, as a, as a, you know, badge of honor, if you will. Um, so, you know, when it, when it comes to uh, avoiding that from happening next time, so that next time after your next race, you know, up and down the stairs, no big deal. You don't, you're not stuck on the, on the toilet for hours because it hurts too much to stand back up. Um, the way I see it, you have two options. One, don't race the race. Just run it for fun. Run it casually. Nice, comfortable pace. You'll finish feeling like a million bucks. Now that might not be, that might not suit you. That might not be your cup of tea if you're going to go through the process of sign up for a race and get into the race and things like that. So if, if you want to race it, um, kind of the other end of the spectrum is to continue to do more in your training. Um, in, in various ways. And that doesn't mean necessarily push the pace more. In fact, it probably shouldn't mean push the pace more in your training. But it, what, what I would suggest is, you know, now that you know what it's like to run 13.1 miles, um, you know, if you have the time in your next training cycle to get your long run up to 14 miles, 15 miles, maybe even 16 miles at a comfortable pace, you know, take your, take your sweet old time, take two and a half, three hours, three and a half hours, whatever, to get to those, those type of mileage for your long runs. Um, but extend out past 13 miles. So that way your body is, is more used to having a little bit more time on your feet, a little bit more wear and tear, maybe add an extra run during the week so that instead of running, you know, I'm just making up numbers here, but you can, you can plug this into whatever your, your training was like, instead of running 20 miles a week on average, maybe your, your average miles per week is 22 or 25. So that you're getting a little bit more stress, a little more strain on your body. Your body has to respond and become stronger. Your quads have to respond and, come, and become stronger so that when you get out there on race day, whether there's hills on the course or not, you can go out there, 
hammer it and come back and not be miserable for three days. Now you still might be some sore. You still might have some, some soreness for a few days. That's, that's kind of common. That's kind of part of, uh, again, kind of par for the course of, of running races hard, but the more stress and strain you can put on your body during, during a race, the less it's going to linger afterwards. And the other thing that I think is important to take into consideration too, that I have definitely experienced. And I know others have as well. The more times you do a race, the easier it is for you to recover. And it doesn't have to be the same race, but the more times you run a half marathon, but the more times you really push yourself to run fast for 13.1 miles, the more your body adapts and the more your body becomes strong and resilient. And while you still might have some, some soreness, it might just be something that you kind of notice, but you know, once you get up off the couch and by the time you walk to the, to the bathroom, you're able to sit down with no problem because your, your body has, has done this before it's been there, done that it's gotten stronger. It's made those adjustments that first time it's always going to be the most difficult because it's something you've never done before. So hopefully, you know, you can, you can kind of keep your momentum going, keep your training going, uh, and your body doesn't forget all of those things. And so when you get to your next half marathon, whatever it might be, even if it's on a hilly course, even if you don't do that much dramatically different from your, from your training, you'll see, you'll see some, some reduction in that pain and soreness after the race might not ever be completely eliminated, especially if you're going to push yourself, but it'll be a little bit easier. Um, you know, speaking, speaking for me from, from the marathons and stuff, um, you know, I mean, I just PR'd in, in Chattanooga and I was a little bit sore the next day, not too bad. Um, and by like Thursday, you know, race on Sunday by Thursday, I felt like a million bucks. Um, and I just had just run a marathon faster than I'd ever run one before. So, you know, it, it, I think that a big reason for that is because my body has done that. You know, that, at that point, that was my 11th marathon, I think 12th marathon, something like that. So even though they weren't all, you know, in, in 12 weeks in a row or something like that, I'd done it enough times that my body kind of knows it's kind of gotten stronger. It's, it's, it's adapted and yours will as well. As long as you're continuing to train and, and racing once in a while, it'll, it'll get easier. May not ever be completely pain-free, especially if you push it, but it'll get easier. I promise. So hopefully that helps Katie and, and, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't think that it means that you did something wrong when you're sore after a race. It actually, I would argue it means that you did something right and that you really pushed yourself on race day, gave it all you had. And that's, that's for me, that's the goal of racing. So kudos to you, my lady. Um, Next question comes from JR says, how long should I train for my first, uh, marathon? He says, I'm running my first half marathon on December 2nd. So right around the corner. Good luck this weekend, sir. Uh, do I have time to train for a spring marathon or should I shoot for a fall race? Summer running sucks here in South Mississippi. So, uh, spring sounds like a whole lot, uh, sexier, but I don't know if I can get myself ready by then. Uh, JR, I would, I would say, and if you're running a half marathon on December 2nd, I mean, you're, you're you're well on your way to being ready for a spring marathon, you know, um, run it, race it, enjoy it, have fun. Uh, hopefully, you know, you don't have three days where you can't get down on the toilet. Like, uh, like Katie did there after her first marathon, but, uh, you know, you, you're, you're, you're well on your way. If you, if you kind of can keep, keep things rolling after you give yourself a, a, a week or whatever, however long you need pain-free plus three, give yourself some time to recover after that half marathon. But if you pick up where you are right there and keep building towards it, um, I would say, you know, probably 12 weeks would be ample time to build up from 13.1 miles to being ready to go for 26.2 miles. Um, I would say you probably could do it in even less time, but seeing as this would be both your, this will be your first half marathon and would be your first marathon. I would say err on the side of caution. So maybe even look at somewhere between 12 and 16 weeks, but that still puts you to the, you know, somewhere between the end of uh, somewhere in, in either March or April, you know, plenty of time, plenty of time. So, um, as long as you can keep the momentum rolling after the first half marathon, plenty of time to be ready for a spring half. Not that you have to do one, 
But yeah, I mean, training in South Mississippi, not a whole lot different than training in Central Florida. This is the time of year to be logging those heavy miles, getting that training in, and then you can keep things short and a little bit a little bit uh, less strenuous in the summertime without having to work on a fall marathon. That's that's not a whole lot of fun. I've been there, done that several times, um, and that training is, is tough in the summertime. So if you, if you want to do it, I would say, you know, assuming all goes well in the marath- in the half marathon, no injuries, no issues, plenty of time to be ready for a spring race if that's something you want to do. So good luck with that, JR. Hope, it, hope your first half marathon experience goes well as well. Uh, next question, got uh, I think two two more. Yep, two more, two questions left. Uh, this one coming from Brooke says, uh, I haven't been running long. Hold on. I haven't been long running that long. So meaning that she's just started to stretch out into some longer distance races recently. Uh, I've only been running about two years in total anyway, uh, but my knees ache when I do anything over two or three miles. Uh-oh, not good. Um, she says, I got knee sleeves and made it through my first two marathons with little to no pain, but they, they consistently or constantly slid down. Before my third marathon... Uh, I tried KT tape only once in my longest training run. It seemed to help. So I did it for race day, but by mile five, I was hurting so bad. I think I most likely just didn't put enough pressure on the tape when applying it. But do you have any other suggestions? I have another marathon on December 8th. Thank you. Well, Brooke, um, I've got a couple suggestions for you. A couple of things that, that kind of sound like they might be making sense to me, but, um, definitely this sounds like one of those situations where if you can see somebody, uh, PT, chiropractor, uh, doctor, nurse practitioner, somebody who's got some good medical training. Um, if you can get in and see somebody, it's always a lot easier to do uh, proper medical care and offer good medical advice when you can actually see somebody, put your hands on them, feel, feel around, uh, te- do, do some tests than to try to diagnose online. So uh, that would be my, my first suggestion, especially with a race coming up in uh, you know just a couple of weeks. Um, hopefully you can get some relief between then and now. Um, but that said, my thoughts are that there's a lot of things that could be going wrong with your knee that could be causing some aches and some pains. Um, my gut is saying, especially with the fact that wearing a sleeve kind of seemed like it helped a little bit, like the KT tape maybe helped a little bit. Uh, my gut says that that means it's one of two things, either IT band issues uh, or patellar tendonitis issues. So if it's an IT band issue, it probably hurts along like the upper outside edge of your kneecap when you're when you're running, when you're stepping up on stairs, when you're when you're uh, doing anything that, that really tightens your, your quad muscle, the muscle on the front of your thigh. If that's the case, it's kind of pulling your IT band is tight and it's pulling your kneecap a little bit to the side when it, when it's moving up and down, when you're moving your leg and it's actually the bone of bottom side of your kneecap is grinding on the bottom part of your, your thigh bone, your femur, um, instead of sliding smoothly through the groove, like it's supposed to, it's, it's, it's angled a little bit and it's grinding and that's what the pain comes from. So the longer you run, the more it continues to grind, the more it continues to hurt. Uh, the other option would be more if, if it hurts kind of either directly above or especially directly below your kneecap in the center of your knee. Um, that would be more of a patellar tendonitis issue, um, which is probably, uh, you know, just one of those things where the, the, the tendon is inflamed. Maybe the bursa underneath it is inflamed. It could be a patellar tendon bursitis as well. Um, but in either case, it's, it's something that's inflamed and, and, and over overused and overstressed. And so, you know, so having some rest and some, some easy ways to, to solve that as well. So if it's, if it's a patellar tendonitis or something along the, the front side there, stretch your quad, pull your, pull your, um, 
foot back so that your heel is bumping into your butt, uh, giving that nice stretch across the front of your uh, front of your thigh, which again your quadricep muscle group. There's four muscles there, but if you stretch those, lengthen those out, it'll help to take some of that pressure off of that tendon or that bursa and and help it to calm down a little bit. Uh, you can also foam roll your quads, so it's not a lot of fun. It doesn't feel very good, but it's very effective uh, in, in loosening up that tissue. You can also massage the tendon itself. So where, where it hurts on the bottom of your kneecap, most likely, um, you can kind of, you know, with your, with your thumb, with your finger, um, just kind of rub across that area to help massage that, that area a little bit, loosen it up, helps to bring some blood flow to the area, helps to, to solve the problem, helps to, to uh, you know, give the nutrients that your body needs to, to do its own repair work right there. And hopefully, since you're in the taper period now, you're not running as much, that reduction in training will help to allow that, that itis to calm down. If it's more of an IT band issue, if, it's, if your IT band is tight, pulling on your, your uh, kneecap, so the outer, uh, upper outer edge of your kneecap, it seems like where it's hurting, um, a lot of the same similar advice stretch your quad, pull that, pull that foot back and really stretch that front side of your, of your thigh. You can also, and should also foam roll your quad. Also, you can foam roll along the outside of your leg or along, along that it band. I know there's some people that say that you shouldn't foam roll there. Uh, it's, it's sketchy. You you can, you cannot, it's, it's not going to feel good. Uh, but foam rolling your quad, the front of your thigh, foam rolling that the angle, kind of the 45 degree angle between the front and the side of your thigh is super beneficial. And also on the back 45 degree angle between your, your hamstring, the muscles on the back of your, your leg and your IT band, the outer edge of your leg. Because what happens is sometimes there's these adhesions that build up between that IT band and your muscle and your muscles in your leg, uh, which just basically means that the, that IT band doesn't move as well as it should. It's supposed to glide. It's supposed to slide on top of those muscles. And if you start to get those adhesions there, it starts to pull more on your kneecap pulls out of alignment and can cause problems. Another thing that can lead to problems with your IT band, anybody who's got IT band problems, pay attention here, um, is, the, is if, if your core is weak. So if you, if you don't have good core strength, what will happen is there's a little muscle in your hip called your psoas muscle. And that's, that's the part of, that's where the IT band kind of connects from, from your hip runs all the way down to your knee on the outside of your leg there. And if that muscle has to do too much work to, it's not a stabilizer muscle. It's not designed to help stabilize your core, but if your core musculature is weak, if your lower back, your abs, your obliques, your side muscles are, if they're, if they're weak and you're unstable when you run, that muscle will fire more to help stabilize your hip. What that does then is pulls more on your knee or on the, on the the IT band, which then pulls down towards your knee, which pulls on your your patella on your kneecap and cause it to, to grind on that bone on bone grinding in your knee when you're running. So, um, all that to say with your race coming up in two weeks, the sleeve, the, the tape, those things are band-aids. Those things may help you get through the race. Hopefully finish with a smile on your face, have some fun, but those are not long-term cures. Those are not the type of things that are going to ever make this, make either of those issues. If it's one of those two things go away. So, you know, do some, do some work now beforehand with the foam roller, with the stretching, maybe do a little extra yoga, things like that. Get a little extra recovery, run a little bit less because you're in your taper period and hopefully that'll help your body to respond and, and feel better. Um, but then after the race, you got to get these things taken care of. You got to work on your core strength, work on your, your flexibility, work on the foam roller. Um, so the, these problems, if it's one of those two things, they can and should go away and you won't have to deal with them anymore. You have to do a little bit of maintenance work, do, do some of those little things once in a while to keep the problems at bay. But, uh, you know, once, once you figure out what it takes to beat it band issues, 
pretty much you'll never have IT band issues again as long as you're staying up to, you know up to date on doing the work. So hopefully it's something like that because it's an easy solution. It just takes a little bit of time and some dedication. Uh, and and you know use the band aid, use the KT tape or the sleeve, whatever seems to work better. Sounds like the KT tape might be the the better option. Use that to get yourself through the race, but then get the things taken care of. Um, and once again, this is medical advice given over the internet uh, without a, a good back and forth. So hopefully it'll help. But if at all in doubt, best che- best bet is to see somebody who uh, can can look at you, put their hands on you, watch watch what you're doing, ask you questions, and get good feedback, and, and have a probably a more more likely accurate diagnosis than what I can offer from uh, several. I guess we're hundreds of miles away um, over the internet. So hopefully that that all helps uh, for you there, Brooke. And have a have a great. Hope you have a great race. Hope your your knee pain calms down enough that you can enjoy this next marathon. Um, last question coming from my man, Dan says, uh, if you were training two runners for a full marathon who were at similar training levels and had similar goals, but one runner is 40 years old and one runner is 60, would you have the 60 year old train differently? Yes. Yes, I would. And, and Dan, please don't, don't take this the wrong way. Uh, because I, I, I totally get where you're coming from with this question, but you know, if there's one thing that I believe in is no, no such thing as one size fits all. So if I had two athletes that I was working with that were both had similar levels of fitness and both had similar goals and were both 40 years old, I would train them both differently as well because they're still two unique human beings. They're two unique people with different demands on their life, different demands on how often they can train. Uh, just, just they're two different people. As soon as you said, if you had two, you, 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 again, not nothing, nothing personal here, Dan. Um, if, if you could have had your question, if you were training two different runner, two runners for a full marathon, would you train them differently? Yes. Yes, I would. Everything else doesn't matter. I've got two people I'm working with. They each, they each need, they each have their own strengths. They each have their own weaknesses. They each have their own needs. They each need me to, to, you know, handle, handle our relationship differently. You know, one maybe needs a, a more of a, a kick in the butt. One maybe needs more of a pat on the back. You know, each person is different. So each person should. In my opinion, if you're working with me, you're going to be trained differently. You're going to be trained in the way that I, I think that I figure out over the time of working together what works best for you. Uh, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how many years you've been training, what your fitness is. There's so many variables that go into uh, success on race day and, and proper preparation for success on race day that uh, I can't think of any reason other than just simply if the coach was lazy that he or she would say, oh, yeah, they're, they're close enough to be the same. Let's just train them together. Let's just have them do the same things. It's bullshit in my opinion. Uh, it's a lazy way. It's a terrible way to be a coach. Uh, somebody like that shouldn't shouldn't be a coach anymore if you ask me. So um, that might be a bold statement. That might be something that, that irks some people. But if somebody's paying you money, if someone's paying me money to help them be ready for a race, you better believe that I'm going to help them be ready for the race with something that works for them, not some one-size-fits-all or one-size-fits-a-few type of, of plans. Yes, Dan, I would train them differently. Um, and, uh, I hope that that makes sense. I hope that that doesn't come across wrong. Uh, nothing wrong with your question. I think it's a, it's a very fair question. Maybe you're, maybe you're feeling me out on how I would, how I'd react if you'd want to work with me. And, and that's, that's, I mean, that's my God's honest answer is absolutely. I would train them differently because they're two different people and ergo they need different things, have different strengths, different weaknesses, and all of that good stuff. So that is it for this month's questions. There we go. You never fail. Let's put a microphone in front of this guy. And uh, even though we got fewer questions than we've had the last few months, I'm pretty sure this episode ended up being longer 
than it's been the last few months. But uh, it is what it is. Great questions this month, as per usual. Thank you all for contributing. Um, and once again, if you want to get yourself, you know, get your questions answered next month, head over to the Facebook group, disruns.com slash Facebook or on Facebook. Just search for Disruns. Join the group. We uh, have a, a pretty much a, an innocent until proven douchey policy, meaning that you request to join the group. We're going to let you in the group. You come in and start being a douche. We're going to kick you out of the group. Pretty much that simple. Um, but as long as you come in, contribute, have fun, crack some jokes, post some memes, all that kind of good stuff, ask questions, support each other, then you're, you know, we'd love to welcome you to the best running group on Facebook. Because that's, that's the goal. Maybe we're not there quite yet, but uh, that's what we're working towards, becoming the best Facebook group for runners. So come come join us, disruns.com slash Facebook. And uh, if you haven't done so already, head over to dkms.org, get yourself that free swab kit, and get yourself entered into the, into the pool of potential marrow donors that would be willing to help save a life of uh, somebody who is, is battling blood cancer. Uh, it's, it's a great, great cause, great organization. Super happy to have them on board as a, as a supporter, as a sponsor, and uh, really appreciative of everybody who's taken, taken the plunge and joined me in the pool. Once again, dkms.org or text the word amazing. It's A-M-A-Z-I-N-G to the number 50555 for more information and to get yourself entered as a potential marrow donor. Whew. That was a good one, y'all. Hopefully the answers were helpful. Uh, but I uh, certainly appreciate all the questions. Thank you. And appreciate you for listening. Appreciate you for sticking around for north of an hour. It's taken us to get through this episode. But uh, thanks, for your, thanks for your time. Thanks for your attention. Thanks for telling folks about the show. Certainly appreciate that. Uh, and until next time, please be well. Take good care. Thank you all again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, all right? Take care, guys. Mm-hmm.